she went into the pain of dysphoria of her gender. I listened and felt compassion that, you know, my brother, now my sister, is really suffering. And I did not know that, and I did not have clues. If I can, and in the Holy Spirit's power, am able to love Carly um, in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, that's the track I want to be on. She was a um, person of stability for me growing up. There was a lot of anger in our home and a lot of repressed anxiety, I would say. So I looked to Margaret a lot. She was kind of like a rock. When I was in trouble emotionally, I knew I could go to her, and I always did. Margaret used to tell me when I was growing up as a kid, you've got to learn how to play the game. you just got to learn how to play the game. If you just play the game, you're going to be okay. And I could never really learn how to play the game. For me, Christianity never really reconciled. I didn't understand how you can hate somebody and be disrespectful to somebody and yet take this position that we're really great Christians. Honestly, I don't really believe in the afterlife. I really don't. If I were to say, I'm all about the grace over here on this side, it would be like holding the rubber band by one end. It's weak, it's flimsy, there's no power. But if I take the rubber band by the other side and I say I'm all about the truth, it's weak, it's flimsy, there's no power. But look where the power is. If I say, I'm about the grace and the truth, where's the power? The power lies in the tension of the two. And you feel this tension a lot. I love my friend, but my friend is making this life choice. But God's word says this, but my friend is doing this. When we love somebody, but they're not living the way that God would want them to live, or maybe it's us ourselves and we know that we're not doing something that God wants us to do. And I'll tell you what this is, this, this tension that we run away from because it's uncomfortable, it's love. Love is the tension between grace and truth. As much as I can learn about what she's going through and living out and you know the joys and sorrows of it, the better Christian I will be. Well, we're in week three of the series. We're addressing, remember, those four elements of the comprised grace that looks a little messy when it intersects the issues of our life. And the first week we learned that we all have issues and that Jesus says we need to hold on. Remember that analogy. I love that analogy. That we hold on to both grace and truth. And in that tension is the love. And grace reminds us that we need to be people that are known for what we are for, not what we're against. And that what we should be for is for people coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then last week we discovered that we need to look for opportunities to tell people the truth in ways that leads them to grace. And the truth is God calls us as a church to be a place where people can belong even before they believe. And today we're going to look at how we ought to be thinking about people, every, every people, okay? I know that's poor English. Forgive me, teachers. And if you can remember only one thing from today's message, then this needs to be it. We are called to love like God. And when we put conditions on that love, it's no longer love but manipulation. 
And the truth is, that's not loving like Jesus. There are people in your life that you and I just don't like sometimes. Am I right? And some of you may have actually come to church this morning with that person. You know what I'm talking about. You have that argument while you're getting ready or on your way to church. But then just as soon as you come in the door, you put the church face on. And while the preacher's preaching, you're looking at your spouse and say, you know he's talking about you. You better listen to him. And I'm just not talking about that kind of dislike, though that fits in. There are really some people that, that we don't like. Be honest. You may work with some of those people and you try to avoid them as, as if they had the plague or something because you just ain't got time for that kind of junky people, am I right? They're at school, they're where we shop in our neighborhood, and sometimes, guess what? They're at church. And some of the times we dislike people because of the sin in our lives. We dislike people because of the sin of prejudice. Now, I realize prejudice in our culture has been narrowed down to just how we view as white folk people of color. But there's a lot, prejudice is a word that simply means to prejudge, to make a predetermination about somebody based on something other than their heart and their character. We prejudge people by the way they dress, by their economic status, their social status, their political views, and which team they pull for on Saturday afternoons. And some of these people we just can't stand because of that. And that's prejudice. And for some of us, if we're going to be honest, our reasons for disliking people run even deeper. Some of us have had people that have hurt us deeply, wounded us, abused us, manipulated us, stabbed us in the back. Now, we know that we need to forgive them, and, and really we, we should forgive them. But just because we forgive them doesn't necessarily mean you, you have to let them back into your life. Leave that part with God, okay? And if you're a follower of Jesus, I, I just know that you, you, you struggle like I do with liking some people because can we be honest this morning? Raise your hand. Can I be honest? Okay, thank you. Some people are jerks. You know anybody like that? And if you're going to be a real follower of Jesus, be it at work, school, in your neighborhood, in this community, in this church, wherever you and I are at, we need to become very, very, very good at loving people and treating those people both whom we like and dislike, both of whom we agree with and disagree. We need to treat them with love and respect because if we don't treat people that we disagree with with love and respect, then, then there's a maturity problem and God expects us to do something about it. In fact, He demands that we change that in us. Now, Christians, this might be surprising to you, but, but Christians do not always have the best track record at loving others. Does that shock you? I had, I understand that experience. When I became a pastor, my first three appointments, man, they were wonderful. 
I mean, you know, people were just full of love and full of grace. I was just started out not even 18 and a half years old. And so my first three appointments, wow, I mean, it was great. But then from my fourth appointment on, I look at some of the people that God had sent me to serve, and I thought, wow, they don't love anything like Jesus loves me. Jesus is completely different in how he treated people. And then you look at how the church treats people, inside and outside. Now, in a moment, we're going to take a look at Matthew 5. Now, Matthew wrote his gospel from a perspective. And his perspective was he wrote it primarily for, well, he wrote it entirely for the Jews to help them understand that Jesus really is the Messiah, the one that God promised the one that the people were wanting to come. But here's the deal. They wanted a Messiah who would lead them in a revolution against Rome and all of their uh, other enemies. They wanted Jesus in their flavor. Aren't you glad people don't want Jesus in their flavor today? But Jesus throws them for a loop. Now, Matthew 5, we start this section, you know it, the we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we all are, are we all familiar with the Beatitudes? You've at least maybe heard them. Or I don't know, they have Veggie Tales on the Beatitudes too. Uh, yeah, well, they, got, they got Veggie Tales on everything. But the heart of the message that Jesus is bringing in this, this, this time of teaching goes much deeper than just the Beatitudes. In fact, the tough stuff is said when, when, when Jesus makes this comment, I want you, when you get home today and for the rest of the week, I want you to reread these chapters. And pay attention to the phrase that says, you have heard it said, blah, blah, blah. But I want to tell you this. Now pay attention to that. And let's start at chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. Now you've heard the law says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Sounds good to me. Doesn't it sound good to you? But I say, here we go. You've heard it said, but I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who borrow. Let's stop right there. Now, Jesus is quoting from, actually from Leviticus 24, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And what he's saying is, you know, there was a time when God allowed that, but, but not anymore. Really, Jesus? I mean, if someone talks hateful to me, can't I talk hateful back to them? Someone treats us poorly, it's easy to talk bad about that person, isn't it? And it can be quite a thrill planning revenge. Be honest. Remember, this, this is the honesty zone. You're safe. But Jesus said, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. He says, if someone slaps you on the right side of your face, stick the left side. Of, oh, come on, Jesus. If someone sues you for a shirt, for your shirt, give them your coat. Well, let me stop right here. Now, how many of you have more than one outfit in your closets? I do. Okay. Probably most of us do. But in their culture, most folks only had two garments. So that's a pretty big deal when he says that. Then Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Now, under Roman law, in any occupied territory, a Roman soldier could demand 
that a citizen of that occupied country would be forced to carry his gear for one mile only. No more, no less. And remember, the territory here in, in, in where Jesus is, is talking to these people, I mean, this is four-wheel drive terrain, okay? And so Jesus says, when that, your sworn enemy says, take my gear for one mile, you look at him and smile and say, hey, let's make it to him. And if that's not shocking enough, what about that verse 42 there? Give to those who ask and don't, don't turn away from those who would borrow. I mean, really, Jesus? I mean, even non-Christians have issues with that because you know there are some people that if you loan them something, they're never going to give it back. Am I right? And Jesus isn't finished. Listen to verses 43 and 44. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Come on, Jesus. Now, here's what we say. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. Let's gossip about them. Let's rant and rave on Facebook and Twitter. Let's avoid them. And if we can't avoid them, well, then we'll just tell them what horrible, miserable sinners they really, really are. But if you'll think deeply about it, you know why Jesus says this. I want you to think about it, just a moment. Think about somebody you've got some issues with, okay? Do you want to get over those issues? Wouldn't it be nice not to carry those issues around? For the next 30 days, I want you to try praying for them, not against them. Remember, praying against them, it says, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits. You want them to be miserable. I want you to pray for them. For them to experience the height, the width, the depth of God's love in amazing, wonderful ways. Because, you see, it's impossible to be with, upset with someone that you pray for consistently on a daily basis. Because Jesus knew that love will always overcome pride, ego, and bitterness. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because look at verse 45. And that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight to both the good and the evil, and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. That means that people that you and I don't like that God still allows good things to happen to them. The sunshine, the rain. Now, I don't know about you, but, but you know, when I have an issue with somebody or a group of somebodies, I just naturally assume that God has the same issues as I do, right? That God agrees with our thinking. Or am I the only one that thinks that way? Good. But God doesn't show favoritism. Look at verses 46 and 47. Now, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Now, you all understand who tax collectors are? They're the traitors. They're collaborating with the enemy. They're the backstabbers. The pagans, well, they're just everybody that's not a Jew. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. If you don't love everyone, if you don't treat everyone well, then you're acting like somebody who either has no faith or is an atheist. You're acting like an atheist. 
when you withhold unconditional love to any other person, no matter how much you feel like they may actually deserve your wrath and your anger, even no matter how much you may disagree with them. What Jesus is saying is in times like this, you've got to know how to love. And to be quite honest, you know, there have been moments when I saw more love in atheists than I've seen in people who profess to follow Jesus Christ. We're being truthful now, okay? I'm just telling you observation. I'm not judging anyone. Because this is tough stuff. But Jesus isn't finished. He has a word for those who profess to follow him. And here it is, verse 48. Look at it. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if it's not tough enough to carry someone you don't like's books for two miles, if it's not tough enough to let somebody slap you on the right and left cheek, now here's something tough. Now, before you put your excuses into motion and give, you know, I, I love the book uh, uh, by uh, 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 James Moore, Yes, Lord, I Have Sinned, But I Have Several Good Excuses. That's the title of the book. I love it because, you know, I have several good excuses, right? Or I'm the only one who ever has excuses for sin. Okay. You see, before you put up your excuses, what Jesus is saying is, you and I will never be perfect. I said, now why did he say that? If you're saying, Jesus is saying you'll never be perfect. Jesus says this to say, this is the purpose of grace. To teach us how to get there. To, excuse me, I keep pointing at my screen. To get to this point. Because without the grace of God and without the Holy Spirit living in us, we're never going to get close to that, are we? What Jesus is saying here is, listen, you've you got to grow some. Because let's be honest, we're a far cry from the perfection of God in heaven. So we've got to grow. We've got to stretch ourselves and probably the no not probably the toughest way you will ever stretch yourself will not be through your prayer life will not be through reading the bible will not be through trying to get a better theology the biggest way that we and the toughest way to stretch ourselves is in the arena of how we love others both with whom we agree and disagree. Now, let me sum it up for you this way, how, how we can love like Jesus. First of all, love has no exception clause. God is for everybody. God is yearning for everybody to come into a relationship with Him. And if God's love has no exception clause, and if we're supposed to be perfect like our Heavenly Father in heaven is perfect, then our love should not have an exception clause. You know what an exception clause is? This applies to everything, everyone but fill in the blank. See, God is for you. When people look at, you know, understand this, it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. God loves you, and you've heard me say this before, in this moment, as much as He has ever loved you in any moment, and He can never, ever love you more than He loves you right now. His love doesn't go up and down. There's, there's, there's no lovometer. 
you know, where it goes up and down. He, he loves us from the cross. And when people look at your life, they need to be able to tell that, that when they come to you that, that they can find comfort, help, encouragement. And it should be easy for them to see Jesus in us. No exception clause because God's love has no exception clause. Secondly, love is unearned. Now that is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Because you know, he, the, 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 the no exception clause, you know, he loves tax collectors. He loves Roman soldiers. He loves pagans. And, and, and now that we come to this point here that love is unearned, it's that he lavishes it on us through actions, forgiving, offering the other cheek, carrying the load two miles. See, focus on how we love, not what others do. See, here's what we do. We first look at, when we look at other people, be they LBGT or just people, other people, okay? We look at them, how, how are they treating others? How, do I, how are they treating us? That's usually the first question we ask. What, what do they say? How do these people vote? And once we see all the stuff that we think is, you know, about them, then we make the determination, are we going to treat them like Jesus treats us? You see, it's unearned. It's not based on performance. You've got to vote like I do, believe like I do, think like I do. Remember, God calls us to be a church where people can belong before they even believe. Here's what Jesus says. You worry about you first. And you let my word guide you how you treat somebody, no matter what they do, say, or think. Now, that can be difficult. But Jesus says, listen, don't focus on what others do. Focus on how you love. And the way we love is this gift, unearned, unmerited. Because that's the way God loves us. And thirdly, love is demanding. Now, here's the deal. And when you follow Jesus, here's the truth. And it may, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, it may say, I don't want to follow him. And if you thought you followed Jesus, and you may be thinking, now, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I'm going to quit. And that's okay. But here's what you need to do. See, when you follow Jesus, they talk about demanding. You give up the right. The right to get even. The right to be bitter. The right to be unforgiving. The right to gossip. You surrender your rights to treat people poorly. You surrender your rights because Jesus is holding us to a different standard. And now we come full circle. We are called to love like God. And when we put conditions on that love, it's no longer love, but manipulation. And that's not the way Jesus loves us. Now, why should we love people like that? 
the way God loves us? Because we have no idea what hangs in the balance. Because people who are difficult to get along with are usually people that have deep hurt in their lives. They have deep emotional wounds. Maybe you've heard it put this way. People who wound others are often wounded themselves. You ever heard that expression? And and you don't know the impact that you may have on another person when you love them the way Jesus loves you. When you believe the fact that love has no exception clause, that God equally loves everybody, and we got to equally love everybody. That, that, that love demands uh, for us understanding that, that people don't earn our love, that we just give them the love the way Jesus gave us the love of God from the cross. And that love demands from you exactly what He has given you. I mean, you could be ministering to them. You could be helping them through a tough time. You could be helping them deal with something that has been buried so deep down inside of them and it's been fostering all of those, those negative attitudes and, and that bitter spirit they have towards you, towards everybody else. And when you love on them, it may be that moment that the grace of God slips in and begins to heal the heart. That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 5, 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No exception clause in that love. No thing about earning that love. And how demanding was that kind of love for us when he died on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we just we thank you so much for this, this opportunity to, to be here. And Lord, it's my prayer as we go through the rest of this week that uh, we'll be able to love the way you love us. And we'll put into practice this, this idea of treating people well. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would know through us how much they are loved by you and how that the issues of life can be brought to you. And how that you will take us on a journey, a journey of love, a love that has no exception clause, it's for everyone, a love that is unearned because we're never good enough, and a love that is demanding to love the unlovely and the unlovable. I pray, God, that in our hearts and lives this week that everyone who encounters us will see that, Jesus, you are real in us and that we will show you 
in a way that no matter what they may have heard said about you, Jesus, that they may hear what you say about yourself. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, isn't it interesting how the timing works when we just kind of follow God? We're talking about love, and it's Communion Sunday. You think the Holy Spirit just planned, you know, that, that, that it just kind of happened that way, that the Holy Spirit didn't have his hand on it? It's the table of love. Because of the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he lifted it up and he gave thanks and then he broke it and he passed it among the disciples and says, here, eat, all of you, for this is my body broken for you. And when you do this, remember me. And he took the third cup of the Passover meal, appropriately called the cup of redemption. And he lifted it up and he gave thanks to God and said, drink all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness and remissions of sins. And when we drink from this cup, we remember Jesus. Let us pray. Bless, O Lord, these sacred signs unto us that they may be our reminder that we are the body of Christ broken for the world because of the blood of you, Jesus. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen. Tyler, would you assist me this morning? Shane, would you come on up too?